0: Reading, sometimes you latch on to something that you're not going to and you're hearing. It's something about that when you take a shower, not every single drop gets you clean, but in the multitude of that water flowing over you, you find yourself to be washed in the water of the Word of God, even as you read it a many a times and let these things sink in. So I'm rejoicing the fact that we're getting stronger in the Word of God even as we read more of the Word of God. But this morning we find ourselves again. In the book of Galatians in chapter 2. In the book of Galatians in chapter 2. I had remarked that I had written down somewhere on paper or somewhere typed online that I would call this series The Promise and the Problem. But the more that I read this book of Galatians, I think I'm going to switch those around and call it The Problem and the Promise. That it is really that Paul deals first with the problem and then he begins to articulate what the promise is given to them. Last week, particularly in Galatians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10, if we could communicate any one idea that Paul was trying to get across in his letter of, no matter how much influence someone may have, the way that we relate to them must be on the basis of of the purity of the gospel they proclaim that There were some people that had crept in unawares, as we find in the book of Jude, but there were some that were seeking to mislead them and to require of them certain things that did not need to be. There is a purity of the gospel which we proclaim, and that must be how we relate to somebody. I think about Brother Toby Powers. I'm going to brag on him for a minute. One thing I love about Brother Powers, he preaches a little bit different than what I even think maybe he ought to preach, but he's a faithful man of God. He's a faithful proclaimer of the word of God. And I know this, that when I go into his service at the church where he pastors, I may not like every element of everything that is done, but praise God, when I know that I step into that building, they're going to be singing songs about Jesus, and they're going to be faithfully proclaiming the Word of God. Again, I may not agree with every little thing that's ever been said or done. We change things around here because every now and then, I disagree with the way with things we were doing two years ago. We find that something was right two years ago that all of a sudden maybe we weren't as right as we thought we were. Sometimes we need to be mindful of these things. Let me fix my word. We need to always be mindful of the purity of the gospel that is being proclaimed from here. Both in the way that we conduct our services, every element that goes into it, every song that is sung, every prayer that is prayed, and every word that is proclaimed from this pulpit should always be being faithful. And the rest of us should be living our lives accordingly. I had a great tragedy this week that I was talking to somebody, and we were talking about things of the faith and he remarked and we were talking about raising your children or raising your this way or raising them that way and he remarked about just taking your children to church for a couple hours on sunday that's all that christianity truly is and i'm like dear sir you have missed the entire point what this is. If you're only living this for a little bit on Sunday mornings, we've missed the point entirely. Paul is bringing this down in our lives, and largely this morning, we're going to find that's what Paul seems to be doing in the book of Galatians. As I told you, my sermon reviewer, Miss Terry, and I were talking last night. We were talking about the structure of this book, and it, it seems to be Paul, if Paul is just building and building and building. And if you're paying off debt, there's two means and two methods that people often apply. There's called the snowball method and the avalanche method. And the avalanche method is where you take the biggest one, you pay it off first, and then you go to the next one, the next smaller one down. But the snowball method is where you start with the little one and you pay it off and then you pay the next one, you pay the next one. I think Paul is building a snowball argument over here. He, is, he builds up a little bit of the argument, and then he brings a little bit more into the argument, and then he brings a little bit more. Paul is snowballing into this effect to show the problem that was happening in the churches of Galatia, and that continued to happen in so many churches. So all of that is reviewed this morning, finally puts us into this tense situation between Peter and Paul and some of the others that were there. So this morning, I'm not going to ask you to read you to the length of of this passage or to stand uh, as we read. I'm not going to ask you to stand, but this morning we find ourselves in Galatians chapter two, verse eleven. Galatians chapter two verse eleven. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face, because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew him he withdrew and separated himself. Hearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. Verse 14 But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter, Before them all, if thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, Why compelst thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Verse 17, but, If, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Let's go to the Lord in prayer once more. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes and open our ears, open our hearts to these things, that you would take the truth of your word and seal them within us, seal them within our hearts, seal them within our lives through the means of your Holy Spirit, that we would not only be hearers of the word, but that you would make us to be doers of the word this morning. God, for anyone that has never been born again, we pray that this morning they would repent and trust in you and you alone. God, we pray that for all of us believers, that we would be renewed in our faith and that we would find ourselves walking faithfully for you. God, as road and other congregations represented, Father, we pray that we would all... All seem to be steadfast for you, no matter where we find ourselves, no matter what the group is, oh God, Lord, that we would find ourselves being faithful for you and for you alone. We pray these things in Thy Son, Jesus Christ, most holy and wonderful name. Amen. And Amen. As we saw last week, Paul had been up to Jerusalem. It wasn't his first time going up to Jerusalem. It was at least his second time going to Jerusalem. We know that Paul went at least three good times to the city of Jerusalem, and he was communicating to these things. He was not an apostle made by Peter or these others. No, he was an apostle made by God himself. And, beloved, that to an extent has to be true within each and every one of our lives. You can sit here under the reading of the Word of God. You can sit here under the faithful proclamation of the Word of God. But until you begin to get it in yourself, it's never going to change. It's never going to make a difference. There was a decision that had to be made on a night in April of 2005 that my parents could not make on my behalf. I don't know if they knew what was going on that week, but I've been miserable about that whole week. I knew something was wrong with me. I knew that I was in sin. Something had to change. Beloved, each and every one of us, have had to have that experience at some point or another. It may have been more loud in your life than what it was in mine. It may have been less loud in your life than what it was in mine. But at some point or another, you have recognized your brokenness, and you have fallen down before Christ and repented and trusted in Him alone, even as Paul did. But it did not end when you got born again. It did not end when you became one of His. It ends... When we find him in eternity, frankly, the fact of the matter is it never truly ends. For we shall praise him just as long as eternity rolls. As the adage that my grandfather used to share was, it's the reality that it's in eternity, not after eternity or before eternity, but that it is in the midst of eternity. For we shall never outlive those things. For us with our finite minds... None of us, I think, can actually understand eternity as it is because it goes past our comprehension and our finding out. And beloved, the mission is whether or not we are believing and trusting in Christ alone. And Peter has had a problem with that the feel in the sense as you get in this I don't know if you walked outside this morning hint, hint. you all did at some point I don't know about y'all but I felt like I was walking into a swamp with his monkey is what it is and I have had that feeling of many a times and it had been kind of decently cool now all of a sudden I just feel swampy when I go out there I feel like I'm just walking through as if we were trying to hunt ducks in the wintertime but it's hot and it's not a good hunt and it's out there and it's a miserable feeling that's kind of the situation that we're walking into here. Is that Paul, or that Peter, James, and the others had called a Peter, or had called Paul up rather, and had asked him some questions? Now it seems to be that Peter has come to Antioch, the place of where Paul is ministering. It's kind of that Peter has found himself on the home front of Paul over here, and things have changed a little bit. And that's not necessarily wrong, but what is wrong is Peter himself. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. I love how Paul addresses that. Paul went to his face. Paul didn't just go behind his back and start sharing a lot of things that he shouldn't have been sharing, even though as big of a temptation as that is for all of us. No, Paul went to his face because Paul was one of his equals. Please also note that that sometimes if Brother Powers talked about, if Brother Powers was to go off and get off on the side of things, I would not be the one to go talk to Brother Powers. Somebody else would need to go talk to Brother Powers. Somebody else who relates to him on the level that he is. Because, And I'm not saying everything's about levels, but I'm just saying, I would know, even if I heard brother power is preaching something wrong i may ask him about it but there's somebody else in his life that needs to come talk to him about it i've had people in my life that have come and talked to me about stuff that i needed to be corrected on people that were able to lead me in such a way that paul knew that peter needed to be confronted because peter was leading people astray with the example when it says he was worthy to be blamed it literally means that he was worthy to be condemned that if it was a legal charge peter was guilty of it And he needed to be confronted, but he needed to be confronted to the face, not just behind the scenes. It says in verse 12, it explains what Peter had done wrong. It says, For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. That beforehand... Peter had been de- dining with Gentiles. He didn't seem to have a problem with whoever he was with. Peter could associate himself. Peter could eat with him. He could dine with him. He could do as they did. But if you realize and you remember that the Jewish law did not allow for Jews and Gentiles to be mixing around with each other. They didn't need to be sitting and eating meals. There needed to be a separation factor. And truly that in and of itself is not wrong. That God has always called his children to be a separated people. That's not something that is restricted to the New Testament. The problem was with the way that Peter was doing it. He once had eaten with the Gentiles because there was no condemnation. At one point, he was probably eating the food of the Gentiles. If you're familiar with the book of Acts, you remember the scene to where Peter was caught up in a cloud, and then all of a sudden, God brought all of these meats down that he could eat, and the rest of us just said, Amen, and rejoiced that we can eat some of these meats, because I enjoyed gathering with family the other night and eating some bacon and eating some pork loin other times. And all of my life, there's different things that we get to eat that Peter was presented from. The reason that God did those things was to separate his people, but now something has changed fundamentally on the scene, and Peter knew it, but now Peter has gone backwards. Does that mean to tell me that I could be living rightly for God and then all of a sudden get astray? Does that mean that I could actually be living a rightly ordered life for God and then all of a sudden with the best efforts in mind get sideways because I begin to get fearful about things? notice that it says "It says he did eat with the Gentiles but when they were come he withdrew and separated himself and here's the reasoning why it says fearing them which were of the circumcision I do something funny every now and then I told y'all last week that sometimes I put on a suit because that's the way that I'm able to communicate with certain people is I realize the mere fact of me putting a suit on sometimes will communicate to others differently it will send a certain sign so I have no problem putting a suit on I also will tell you this, sometimes I'll go get a haircut. Because, not because that I think that my hair is too long, but do you know that if I go into certain cultures right now, they'll think my hair is too long. And that I won't be accepted among them. I know that seems crazy, some of y'all are looking at me plum crazy. I have to look the same way at them. But I know if I'm going to be hanging around these people for an extended period of time, one of the best things I can do is go get me a haircut because I know it's going to separate me and it's going to align me with them. Not because I believe that you can't have your hair touching your ears. Even mine, as short as it is, would be too long. That's not what I mean. But it's one of those small requirements that done in wisdom can be well practiced. Beloved, sometimes we find ourselves with different groups of people that we can assimilate with in order to share the gospel. We can assimilate with in order to be able to worship with them in a way i think that may be what was happening in jerusalem because remember it says for before that certain came from james if you know about james this is likely not the first james james the apostle as we know and understand this is james the brother of christ and james is known as being the pastor of the church in jerusalem well if you're the pastor of a church in jerusalem and it's likely that james had a decent sized congregation and had a decent amount of influence It might be right for James to live a certain way. It might be right for James to cut his hair a certain way as so to be able to communicate better to them. It might be that James wears different garments and that these were with him might be able to do that. There's the account, and I wish I could remember who it was. But there was this group of people that had gone to seminary, and they believed firmly that God had called them to go to China and plant churches in the nation of China. And what they did was they knew that if they were to wear the garb of the Chinese, if they were to dress like the Chinese people that they were about to be around, that they would be more well-received because a lot of the evangelical pastors over here from the United States were going over there wearing what I'm wearing. They were wearing suits and ties. But in that time that they were in, it did not fit the Chinese culture because they were still traditionally, they were dressing in a more traditional Chinese apparel. So what these men did when they went to seminary is they began to dress as did the traditional Chinese over there. They looked weird. They stuck out in the rest of it, but they were doing something in order to be able to better assimilate and reach. It's not wrong to be able to do that. What James and the others were doing probably contextually was not wrong, but Peter's in a different environment. Now. Peter's refusing to eat with Gentiles on this basis. The reason that Peter is doing this is out of fear. Sometimes you may be able to do something. You may be able to change your voice. You may be able to change your tone. I don't know what it is, but somehow when I come north of I-20, I talk more cornbread. But when I go south of I-20, when I'm working in Carrollton, sometimes my accent's a little bit different. Don't ask me why, Miss Terry's the same way. We both went to college down there, and sometimes we would notice when we were south of I-20, our accent was a little bit less. But when we got back north of I-20, I don't know what happened, there's a vortex there, and all of a sudden our accents became a little bit more drawn out again. It's a crazy thing to think about, but context always matters where you are. Context matters what you do. And Peter was now in a new context. And the reason that he was doing things was not so as to assimilate and as to be more useful for the purpose of the gospel. Peter was doing it out of fear because of who had sent him in. Paul, in Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, had just communicated to us that we're not to change on the basis of the way others are. We're not to begin to proclaim. The way that we relate to others is on the basis of the purity of the gospel they proclaim. When I'm around certain people, what I measure them by is the gospel they proclaim. When I'm around some of my friends from college, when I'm around Brother Nicholas Dedman, who we've had the blessing of having here and proclaiming the Word of God again, when I'm with him, I can have a slightly different conversation than what I can even with my other friend, Austin Lane, that we've also had the blessing of. I use those two because they've been here and proclaimed the Gospel. Is My conversation with Nicholas is slightly different than what my conversation with Austin is. And, beloved, that is not wrong. That is something. We're still honoring the Gospel. The way that I judge them, and there is judgment there, is whether or not they're faithfully proclaiming the Word of God. And I promise you, the day that they stop proclaiming the faithfulness of God, faithfully proclaiming the word of God, I'm not going to associate with them as much. But now, if Nicholas is a little bit different than what Austin is, that's okay. That's the same things that we're dealing with here when it comes to Peter. And Peter was to be blamed because it was out of fear that he was doing this thing. And not only was it Peter that was having the problem, it was, and it said, and other Jews dissembled likewise with him. Insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. Another word for that dissimulating or dissimulation is the word hypocrisy. So, a fun way to understand this word is he hypocritically joined in their hypocrisy. Just to understand, that's effectively what this statement is saying is he hypocritically involved himself in their hypocrisy. And if we are not careful, each and every one of us can begin to do that. We can begin to assimilate too much. And I'm just using political parties as an example of that. If you've noticed, if you've just woken up and paid attention in the last 20 years, you see that seems to be happening largely with political parties. It doesn't matter which one you're a part of. Both of them seem to be telling these stories that are getting larger and larger and larger in their own spheres. And if you don't articulate every little detail, well, you're just a heathen. And you have no existence among them. If you disagree with them on any point, you just need to be outcast from the rest of the party. It is party over whatever other matter you want to say. And, beloved, the parties become corrupted by these things. Denominations can become... become corrupted by these kind of things. I was rejoicing. I brought in the story about the SBC last week and how this past week they were having to deal with some things. Are we going to allow female pastors in the pulpit? Is that what we're going to allow? That was their decision they had to make when I say that we there. We're not members of the Southern Baptist Convention here, but that's what the Southern Baptist was having to decide. Were they going to allow women as pastors? And I'm glad to report that they decided overwhelmingly by, le- by over 88% that they were not going to allow women as pastors within them based on the decision that they made. They decided to be faithful into the Word of God. And in the early 2000s, they had to decide to be faithful. They had decisions coming back in the 80s and 90s about were they going to be faithful. It amazes me that as I study even a little bit of their history to understand this problem they have is a continual problem. It's not a problem they have faced just the one time. It's a problem they're going to continue to have to face every single day. Are we going to be hypocrites who join in the hypocrisy or are we going to stand on the word of God? And it's amazing to me that it's Peter. It's Barnabas. It's, it is Bartholomew and Barnabas and some of these others that are caught up in this. Specifically here, Barnabas that is caught up in this dissimulation. All of us need to be mindful of that. I've seen some of the most faithful pastors I've ever met in my life that get caught up in hypocritical acts. That we're not supposed to worship things other than God, and yet I find that their congregations to be worshiping something other than God. First Baptist Dallas used to be one of the best congregations in all of this, but some of the displays that I see sometimes, especially as we go into the month of July, some of the displays that will be made while there's a healthy understanding, and we thank those that have served. We are blessed with a multitude of veterans in this church. I'm never, and people that are actively serving, I'm never coming against this country. I love this country. Unless they go fully against God, I'm not coming against them. I love this country but we're not supposed to worship this country. And how many times I have seen that pastors begin to worship this country and begin to lead their congregations to worship this country. Beloved, we cannot allow for that thing to happen here. We cannot allow for those things to happen. Is there an honor and a respect of country? I hope that there is. And there should always be a rightful sense of this. I love our country. I pray for our country, but we're not going to worship our country. And it's easy for us to be misled. As I've said I've seen some of the greatest men that I've ever known in my life that have began to be misled by these things, and somebody probably needs to go to them. I don't feel that I'm the right one to go to them. Somebody else is going to have to go to them, but somebody needs to go up to them. Man, Miss Terry, we'll just plug this one for a second. Man, Miss Terry, we'll ride by churches, and sometimes I always see that the American flag is over the Christian flag. And I'm like, why are you doing that? Why are you putting the flag of the lesser above the flag that is greater? And they said, Well, the American flag, and i will be like, beloved. When I look at this, I need to understand maybe the best thing for us to do is what we do here. We don't have flags. That's the easiest decision we can make. Not against flags. I'm just saying we don't have flags here because I don't want to have to display which one do we display on this side, which one do we display on that side because it means something. I say all of these things to bring in. Y'all see how small these things can be? And yet they carry with them massive implications. How we address these things, matters because me and Mr. will go by and we'll jokingly say your flags are wrong because I mean that. The American flag is flying above the Christian flag. That's exactly the state of some of our souls. We think it to be a casual, okay thing. And I think that the Apostle Peter probably thought it was an okay and a rightful thing that he had withdrawn himself. And I think that Barnabas and these other Jews that followed suit, they found that it was okay. I found a dear brother in Christ this week that posted on social media. And I'm nosy enough. I want to know who he's talking about. And he didn't share, and I'm still upset with him for not. But he shared this post, and it was an amazing post. Brother T.J. Cochran, who's also been here with us before, but Brother Cochran, he posted this this on social media, and he was relaying the story of how he had seen a pastor that had gone astray, and he said he had this perfectly worded message and this perfectly worded thing and everything, and then he realized his problems himself, and he had to take a step back. Beloved, some of the greatest ones in this world can easily begin to lead others astray, and that was Brother T.J.'s problem with whatever this pastor was, he said, because of the influence they have that they may lead others astray. Beloved, just as I'm not going to let somebody other dictate to me on the basis of their sphere of influence, but rather on the basis of the purity of the gospel they proclaim, I've got to make sure that I'm purely proclaiming the gospel. I don't think that Peter knew he was wrong. I think Peter needed to be told that he was wrong. I think sometimes there may be people in our lives that we have the relationship with that we need to be able to go to them and confront them because they are worthy to be blamed. Will it be a fun conversation? Will it be an easy conversation? No. I've got brothers in my life that I can think of that I see going the wrong way. They're doing some okay stuff. They just seem to be doing it all the wrong way. And I want to be able to go to them and say, dear brother, you're doing some good things. You just happen to be doing them in the wrong way. I've had other people that come into my life and say, Zach, you're doing good things. You're just doing them the wrong way. I'll never forget Mr. Robert Dortch getting on to me one time about something because he knew I had a certain capacity to be able to do something, but he said, don't do it that way. And it has stuck with me to this day. It's been nearly a decade since he told me those words, and I cannot tell you the number of times that it comes up to my mind of Coach Dortch telling me in the back of my ear, don't do it that way. Don't do it that way. Peter was trying to live for the gospel, I believe, but he had done so wrong. And in his wrongdoing, he was leading others astray. We must always be careful that we don't allow those things to become true of ours. And then Paul begins to, as much of the problem as there is with Peter, Paul begins to break the problem down. He says, but when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, notice that it's not according to the truth of preference, but it's according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of the Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compelest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? Peter, you've been living a lie. You've been living something. You say you're living this way, and you're not. You're telling others they've got to live this way, and yet there's inconsistencies in your life. There's things in your life that need to be changed. Peter, you're requiring something of others that you're not requiring of yourself. What about the man on the island that lives on an island all by himself? Is he guilty? of breaking the commandments of God. Is he guilty of the moral order? Beloved, even if we live as if we are islands unto ourselves, we'll break our own moral codes. We'll require somebody else to live this way, but not require ourselves to live this way. We want somebody else to uphold this standard, but we won't live And it's a temptation that exists for each and every one of us. In verse 15, he continues and says, We who are Jews by nature, being those that were born as Jews and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Peter, the law is bankrupt. The the law has no ability to save you. Do you know that in all of the law of Israel, it had no mechanism to save you? That there was no means of salvation. No, the law was actually the biggest thing that it was a mention of was to make sure that they weren't just going off living any way that they wanted to. It was to bring them to God. It was to show their need of God and their dependence on God. But ultimately the law all boiled down to one thing was do you love God and do you love your neighbors? But the big ticket is do you love God? Do you love him as you say that you love him? It was not able to save you. What it was able to do was to show you your inability was to show you in every way that you don't love God, was to show you in every way that you could live as much as you could according to the law and still not be justified. Nobody had ever been made justified, stand just, stand guiltless before God. But, verse 17, but if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister? Sin. God forbid. Peter, if you've been justified according to the law, and yet you clearly see that even you yourself are breaking the law here, does that mean you're no longer justified? Does that mean the justification, do you mean to tell me that you were once justified, now you're no longer justified? Does that make Christ the servant of sin? It's amazing that word for minister is the same word that is used for deacon, the open model of service before the church over here that he is. Does that make Christ the servant of sin? God forbid. Paul is addressing this of telling Peter that, Peter, what you're making is you're making Christ a servant of sin when you live this way. When we add things to the Word of God, we lead people astray. We require more than what God did. In our finite wisdom, do you think that we are ever worthy of requiring something more than what the Word of God requires? It amazes me. That situation with the SBC, it amazes me how many people are just... Indignant against the way that they did, they are just absolutely opposed to everything the SBC did. And I'm like, You're not even the SBC. Why do you care? You're not even among these. Why do you care? Peter is looking to live by a standard that he's no longer a part of. Peter, why do you care? Why do you care if they're living as the Gentiles? That's not or as the Jews. Why do you care about those things? You're no longer to live according to that standard. He's saying your justification lies in Christ law. The only reason that you have been justified is because Christ died in your stead. The only reason that I have hope of salvation is because of what the work of Christ did. Not because I kept the law. Not because after I'm born again I may live a certain way. Not that I'm born again and I have to live the law then. No, the only reason that I am saved is because of the perfect work of Christ himself. I grew up in a culture that didn't believe that. They would never tell you that. Unless you begin to ask them that. But they did not believe that. Here's the culture that I grew up in. I grew up in a culture that Jesus died for every sin you committed before you got born again. But that you had to pay for the sins after that. I don't know where that comes from. But I don't think they read the book of Galatians. Because if you see the way that Paul talks about Peter's justification is, it's an act of justification. It's not, Peter, you were justified today and you're not tomorrow. It's an act of justification, that it is the work of Christ alone. If it was up for me, if that was true, the model that I grew up with, that I got saved and Christ only died for those sins that happened before I was born again, and he did not die for those sins that have happened since I was born again, that it was responsible to me to keep up with it, I'm living under the Jewish law. I may have a different set of standards, but I'm living the same way that Peter did. I would think that in 2020s or in the 2000s when I was growing up, that these things would not be true. But I can take you and introduce you to people that still believe that way to this day. And I just look at them and I long for them to see the gospel and say, you couldn't keep yourself if that was the case. Beloved, if I could somehow manage to lose my salvation, I promise you I would have lost it long ago. If it was that I I had to keep myself justified, I would have lost my justified status long ago. Do y'all see the glorious news of this? That Paul is coming to Peter and saying, Peter, I want you to see the goodness of this. I want you to see that you've been made free from this law. You are justified in Christ, but look what he does in verses 18 through 21. It says, for if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. Your living has changed. Where once Peter had to live for the law, now Peter has to live for God. It says in verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. One of the best pieces of marriage advice that I've ever received of the problem that many married couples have is they think they're still alive. They think they're still themselves. The problem is when you get married, you're dead. All of a sudden two have become one. The two that were and are now dead and they are now one. Is that Tara and I, Tara's no longer Tara. Zachary's no longer Tara. It's Tara and Zachary. It's Zachary and Tara, whichever way you want to say first. It is that we are supposed to be living this life together. We have been made one. And that our marriage is supposed to be a reflection of the relationship between Christ and the church. Is that I'm no longer supposed to care about my needs for mostly. My job is to care about the needs of men Tara. Because we're one. It's not that I just live for every need of terror. No, it's that we live for the needs of each other. We know that we are one unit now and that we are to live that way. How many times I've seen that happen with couples and relationships? And I love the example my campus minister always gave. He always said he said that he said that their room was always off-limits from their kids because that's where he, he and his wife had to have conversations. It was off-limit from the kids, that their marriage came first before even their kids did. My parents, I don't know if they ever sat about to establish that law, but that was always the picture that was in my household. I never felt like Tyler and I came first. And I don't mean that as poor, pitiful me, that Tyler and I didn't come first. I mean that as a good example that in the household of Paul and Sonia Smith that I grew up in, Tyler and I were not first. My parents were not perfect, are not perfect. But I'm thankful for a father that led his family to follow God first. And that was the model that was given. That must always be the model that we ultimately uphold. Some of you may have been blessed like I was to have a wonderful earthly father who led his family that way. I can tell you that my campus minister, Bill Grissom, was not one that had that. He had a father that did not faithfully follow God like he should have. But do you know what he did? He broke the chain. Bill has led his family, leads his family in such a way that it is a model and example. You may have come from a broken situation. You don't have to stay in a broken situation. You've been justified in the blood of Christ alone. You've been justified by Christ alone. It's no longer you that lives, but Christ that lives in you. Your living is meant for Christ and Christ alone. If anything in your relationship and it's not Christ-centered, there is something wrong. If I know for a moment that if me and Miss Tara were to get crossways with each other, I can promise you that it's because one of us has gotten crossways with God first. That's where it always starts. Because we're, when we get crossways with each other, one of us has gotten crossways with God. If you bring this example to the rest of the church, i got bad news for us as a congregation. We've walked through some stuff, but we've not had internal conflict all that much. But if the Lord tears his come. And if the Lord blesses and continues to see fit that we're going to be a congregation, and especially if the Lord sees fit to bring other people to become members of Shed Road Baptist Church, down the road somewhere, maybe not immediately, but down the road somewhere, we're going to disagree. Somewhere we're going to disagree about the way that it needs to be. Somewhere down the road, we're going to have a preference difference. Somewhere down the road, somebody's going to try to put flowers on this table, and I'm going to have to look at them and tell no. Y'all heard me last week giving that example. I know that seems crazy. I'm just careful because I don't want the communion table to become something more but y'all it's just a preference if you put flowers on this table it's not preventing anybody from coming to the Word it's not preventing anybody from being born again it's just a preference for me. but there may be other things that cause division within us I've lived that most of you have lived that at some point there's been division in the church I ask you to unite yourselves to the purity of the gospel exactly to give yourself to the purity of the gospel not just preferences if it's only about preference, about do we sing, we got two, we've got two hymns. Which one do we sing out of? You know, when we got started, we sang Goshen when we came together first here at Road Baptist Church, we were Goshen and Pilgrim Rest going together at that point. Goshen sang out of the blue of the worship band. We also had some of the red ones, but we primarily sang out of the blue of the worship band. But Pilgrim Rest had only ever sung out of the church hymn. Do you know what we did to appease when we got started here? We sing out of both of them. We're nearly three years into this. Do you know what we still do? We sing out of both of them. Because you know what I've learned? There's good songs in both of them. There's good songs in that red book that aren't in that blue book. There's good songs in that blue book that aren't in that red book. Let's come and reason together. But let us never sacrifice the gospel mission. Because just as we look at a hymnal, there's some songs in church hymnal we're not going to sing. As long as I'm here, we're not going to sing it. We've sung one of them by accident. Before I'm saying by accident, somebody requested it and we all agreed afterward, we said we're not singing that one again. There's some songs that are in that blue book that are fine songs we're not going to sing. It. Not here, not in the presence of here because they don't have a place in the church of God. There are some agreements that we have to make together, but it has to be on the faithfulness to the word of God. The SBC this past week, they said are we going to be faithful to the word of God or are we not going to be faithful to the Word?" Of the SBC is a mighty big tent that allows a lot of differences and a lot of different agreements on different matters, and that is that way on purpose. I love Brother Toby Powers. I love Truth Baptist Church. That's one of my second homes. I disagree with them on some things, and they disagree with me on some things, but that has never once hurt our fellowship with each other. What we care about is whether you're faithful to the word of God itself. We're meant to be dead to self, to where my opinions don't ultimately, what the word of God reveals is what ultimately matters. Paul lands it this way in verse 21. He says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead and vain. It's never been that the law saved us. It's always been that Christ alone is the one that saves us. This morning I was submit to you that we must not follow our fears even to our fears of man, fears of other pressures from others, we must not follow our fears, but we must must faithfully follow Christ instead. There's a lot of enticements in this world. When I look at this month, I promise we're trying to find that landing spot. When I look at this month of June, what our culture has decided to do is to celebrate some things that are contrary to the word of God. How does the church respond? I don't care that the world's doing these things breaks my heart. I don't like seeing these things celebrated. There's things that don't need to be celebrated that are being celebrated, but big deal. The world's been doing that for as long as it's been around. That's nothing new. Just because they set aside a month, and particularly okay, church, we're okay. What's not okay is the way that we respond to it sometimes. If one church gets crossways, we need to deal with each other. Sometimes we come alongside of each other, that we do not frustrate the grace of God that has been extended to us and that we don't require everybody to live a certain way. There are things that happen here at Sid Road, we try to keep things incredibly simple here because the overcomplication leads to things that don't exist. I grew up with a set of the all sovereign rules in the quorum and the rules in the quorum, if you broke them, that was the end of it. We had a constitution and a gospel order if those got broken, didn't matter as much. But if you broke the rules in the quorum, that was the worst thing you could do because we had rules and we had a set of the quorum. Y'all ought to come into church a certain way. Y'all ought not just be rip-roaring and hollering and all these other things that don't have an existence. I'm not saying you can never shout. Hallelujah, we'll shout. If you if you got to shout any, and you're shouting but you go right ahead and shout. You ain't going to be fired up from it Probably y'all are quiet. That's not what I'm saying. There might be a conduct that is becoming, but if we emphasize conduct over gospel fidelity, we've entered into error. Let us always be mindful that we're not caught up by the fear of others, but that we're always faithfully following Christ in Christ Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this wonderful word you've given us. God, we see that the Apostle Peter was brought into this. We see that Barnabas was brought into this. God, we see how quickly any one of us can also be brought into this dissimulation. That God, every one of us can be calling everybody else a hypocrite when we ourselves are the hypocrites of God. Father, let us never be carried away with the hypocrisy of others, but let us faithfully follow your word about God. Father, let us faithfully take the admonishment from others that we see that Peter did repent and Peter did come back to you, oh God. Father, we're thankful for that repentance of Peter. We're thankful that you offer us the opportunity and space to repent. May we take it ourselves this morning that we may faithfully follow you. May we stand on your word and your word alone. Father, never adding to it, never taking away from it, God, we pray that you would save those that are lost. We pray that somebody that has never been born again, we pray that they too would realize that they cannot save themselves. That the only hope of justification they have is in your Son, Christ Jesus. We pray we can carry these things with us always. In thy Son Jesus Christ, name we do pray. Amen.